How you doing this morning? You look good. You look good. Um, I, you know, that, that song that we that sang earlier, um, gosh, it just slams me. He makes uh, all things new. He makes beautiful things out of dust. He makes beautiful things out of us. Something about the, the, the childlike lullaby uh, tune of that, it, it just it, it brings us back to innocence. And I just, you know, only God. Here we go again. We're get slammed again. Uh, but only God can, can make you innocent again. I mean, he's got the power to take us who have made such a mess of our life and to, to make us innocent again. Not just, not just okay, but, but to recover your innocence. He makes all things new. Wow. As though you'd never sinned. Only he can do that. It's beautiful. That's my new favorite song. Okay, that's my new favorite song. I, that's, I, I declare it. I declare it. That's, that's good. Uh, I want to thank uh, Dave Johnson for filling in last week. What a wacko that guy is. I, I, I just, what a nutcase. But uh, that's why he's such a good friend. And uh, I, I just love the partnership that we have with, with his church as well. Was with the Meeting House, Bruxy, two weeks ago, just slammed it out of the park. Uh, we are just blessed to have these, these uh, teachers here. And, and we want to be doing more of this, uh, you know, cross-pollinating churches. But Dave was just fantastic last week. What a message of hope, wasn't it? And uh, he, he's, a, he's a great brother. So we want to be swapping more uh, churches and, and pastors and things of that sort. Also, I want to say hi to, to Jim and Tara. They get the Podrishner uh, Traveling Award. They're up here from Las Vegas. Where are you guys? Jim and Tara, are you around here? Yeah, they're back there. Welcome them. Woo! <laughs> they're up. Jim is uh, part of a ministry in Las Vegas, uh, Valley, Valley Bible Church. And uh, I... I they tell me that Woodland Hills and the message here has had a profound impact on them. And uh, we've got these like brother and sister churches out there that we just uh, love. And we're trying to look at how, what, what does a relationship with them look like. But it's good to have you uh, up here and, and being part of, of the service. Uh, I want to get back to the book of Colossians. We've taken a break for a while. And uh, now we're going to get back to our study of this powerful book. The passage that we're going to read uh, this morning and going to study this morning, I'm actually going to break this into, into uh, a two-part uh, series. Maybe it'll go longer, who knows. But uh, this, week, this week has just been killing me. Um, I've, I've seen a beauty in the, these verses that I've never seen before, and some insights in these verses that I've never seen before. And I, I tried very hard to make it into one message, but it just, it just it, I couldn't do it. So uh, this is going to be a two-part message, and actually... This week's going to lay the foundation for next week. So I'm going to leave you hanging a little bit this week, and you're going to need to come back next week. Uh, so I don't, you know, if you've got that cruise that you've been saving up for all your life, and this is a once-in-a-lifetime cruise, cancel it, because you don't want to miss next week. This week's going to be setting up next week. But uh, it's just powerful stuff. So we're, we're looking at Colossians chapter 2, and uh, we're entitling this message, I Owe It All to Satan. <laughs> Uh, and you'll see what that means here in a little bit. My creative sermon team uh, did, uh, suggested that one. So I owe it all to Satan. You'll see why here in a second. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. When you were dead in your sins, we really were dead. Dead. We were dead in our sins and in the uncircumcision of our sinful nature. God made you alive. Praise God. He made you alive with Christ. When Christ was made alive, you were made alive. He forgave us all of our sins. Everyone say all. all. <laughs> he forgave us all of our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, 
He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, that's Satan and the whole fallen angelic realm. He disarmed them. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. Pray with me here for a moment. Abba Father, I thank you that you make beautiful things out of dust. You make beautiful things out of us. You make beautiful things uh, out of even uh, the mistakes we've made and the sins that we've made when we surrender them to you. And you forgive all things and you make us innocent again. Mm. I pray, Lord God, that this message would just reiterate all the stuff we've been singing about here this morning, about your love and about your, your acceptance. And it's just so simple, and yet it's so, so, so profound. And for everyone who's in this, this auditorium right now and who's listening through podcast or television, Abba Father, I pray, God, that you just warm their hearts and, and open their hearts to receive this word in all of its fullness and all of its power and all of its liber, liberating, transforming, uh, dynamic power, God. And I pray, Lord, that you use this message to set the captives free. Any chain in our heart or mind, any bondage in our heart and mind, any condemnation in our heart and mind, any shame, any lingering accuser voice in our heart and mind, I pray, God, that you'd use this message to blow it apart, to just, just obliterate it, Lord God, annihilate it, and set the captives free. Set the captives free, right here, this morning, now. Or the parishioners, wherever they're listening, whatever they're doing, set them free to receive your love in all of its radical, incomprehensible beauty and power. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. 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 All right, a couple of preliminary points about this passage. Um, Paul here refers to our legal indebtedness. Christ canceled our legal indebtedness. And and it, it, it suggests that there's some kind of legal hold that Satan has on us. And just lock that in on your brain. I'll get back to that more next week. But there's a there's a, a legal right that he has to us because of our sin. And that's the problem that needs to be re- resolved if we're going to be saved. And then Paul says that, that the charge of our indebtedness was nailed to the cross. And most scholars agree that what he's referring to, it's a metaphor. Uh, when, when people were crucified, they would take this plaque, often at least, and would, they would nail it above the head of the crucified person, and it would specify the crime for which they were being crucified. And so in the case of, of Christ, the crime that he was being crucified for was our crime, was our sin, our indebtedness. When Jesus was, was, was crucified, while in the physical realm it said king of the Jews, uh, in the spiritual realm it was saying for the indebtedness of humanity, the legal stronghold that Satan has on all of humanity. And then the passage here says that in doing that, uh, the cross, by the cross, God made a public spectacle out of the, the, the authorities, out of Satan and the fallen powers. And that just is a way of saying he humiliated them. He embarrassed them. In fact, some argue, some scholars argue that what he's referring to here is this ancient practice. It's a barbaric practice, but when, when one uh, city would conquer another city, they would sometimes take the rulers and the warriors of that city and parade them around the town of the victorious city. And sometimes they would strip them naked so the townspeople could laugh at them or they would dress them up in funny clown outfits or whatever as a way of mocking them. And some argue that something like that happened in the spiritual realm. The way that Christ was crucified, and we'll talk more about this next week, but it was so ingenious 
And he, he was, God was able to get the principalities and powers to play into his wisdom so that, that in, in a sense, they, it, the whole plan backfired on them. And it was humiliating to them. And we'll see more about that next week. So what I want us to see here this morning is that there's three things that this passage says were accomplished by the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. First, it canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. It was an indebtedness that Satan and the cosmic authorities held on us. Secondly, through the cross, God triumphed over these demonic authorities in the spiritual realm. And third, the way that he did it made a public spectacle of these demonic authorities. And the question I want to be asking here the next two weeks is this. How did God do that? What was the means by which the cross was able to free us, defeat the powers, and, and humiliate them, make a mockery out of them? How did that happen? The first thing I want to say is, is how it didn't happen, although a lot of people think it did happen this way. Uh, there's a common view out there that's, that uh, believes that it's the Father who holds our sin against us, and God the Father's wrath burns towards us. And Jesus, the Son of God, comes in and says, No, Dad, don't, don't you know, kill them for eternity. Take me instead. And so God the Father vents his wrath against the Son, and that lets us off the hook. It's called the penal substitution view of the atonement. And, and I encourage you not to think about the atonement that way. Um, there's a lot of problems with that view, and I, I, I spoke about that a little bit on Good Friday. Uh, I've got a long essay on it in the, a book out in the gathering area called uh, Four Views of the Atonement. I defend what's called the Christus Victor view, which is the view I'm advocating here this morning. But I, I, I look at all the problems that are associated with the penal substitution view. Um, the only thing I'll say about that view today is this. In the passage that we read, notice it says that God forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. And by that means, he disarmed the powers and authorities. So in freeing us, God took away the ammunition that the powers and the authorities had on us. And that ammunition was our indebtedness to sin. So you tell me, who is holding our sin against us? Who, who, who is it that, that, that is, is indicting us? It's not God. It's the principalities and powers. It's not God who's charging our sin against us. It's not God who's saying, I demand retribution. I demand a blood sacrifice. That's not, that's not God who's saying that. That's, that's Satan and the fallen powers. And see, it's, it's amazing to me, it never ceases to amaze me, how often Christians, and especially how often Christians theologians, confuse God with Satan. Not the littlest mistake in the world. Um, always getting the, the two confused, which is really playing into Satan's oldest trick in the book. Satan does nasty, ugly stuff, and then he points to God and says, look what that, what that jerk is doing. And so many Christians buy into that. Oh, look, God's mean and nasty, but we got to call it good because God's the one who's doing it. Or in some people's theology, Satan will go ahead and say, yeah, okay, I do nasty stuff, but hey, God predestines me to do it, which is basically the same thing. We confuse God with Satan. And see, everything hangs, as I say it so often around here, everything hangs on our being able to distinguish God and Satan. Uh, God, just lock this in, God is beautiful, Satan isn't. God is beautiful, he looks like Jesus Christ dying on the cross for the enemies who are crucifying him, praying for their forgiveness with their last verse. That reveals God. Satan is not at all like that. Satan is ugly. God is beautiful. See, Jesus says, if you see me, you see the Father. 
He doesn't, when you look at Jesus, you're seeing the love of the Father. Jesus reveals the love of God. He doesn't conceal or suppress the wrath of God. On the cross, you see the love, not just of the Son, in contrast to the Father. You're seeing the love of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All of God, the heart of God, the essence of God, is revealed on Calvary. And so you don't need to look anywhere else but Calvary to find out what God is like. Satan, in contrast to that, is ugly. And we can begin to make progress on understanding how God outsmarted the principalities and powers on Calvary and made a mockery out of them. We can begin to get the right answer to that when we ask the question, how is Satan ugly? What does that ugliness look like? What it looks like, more than anything else, is legalism. You find throughout the Bible, uh, Satan is, is sort of this cosmic prosecuting attorney who's always accusing human beings. Satan, throughout the Bible, is like the inspector Chevere of in Les, Les Miserables, uh, and, and who's, who's, who's always pursuing Jean Valjean. I love saying that. I, I, you know, because he, this is this inspector, Inspector Chevere. He can't let go of one crime. Every crime's got to be punished. Uh, he, he's, he's a sort of anal and compulsive about keeping the law, and he'd rather die and commit suicide then extend mercy or receive mercy. He can't do it. There's no room for mercy in the law. And this, this is the, the quintessential law keeper. Well, that's what Satan is like throughout the, the Bible. He's the inspector Chevere. And he's the one who's always accusing human beings, always bringing uh, their, their accusations, uh, are, are accusing us and bringing our faults uh, against us. Uh, you know, we need to understand that Satan and all the fallen powers, these are, are beings who of their own free will, have transformed themselves into beasts who are completely devoid of love. And if you're completely devoid of love, you don't understand love-motivated behavior. And if you don't understand love-motivated behavior, then the only behavior that you understand, the only motivation you understand is threats. And that is to say the only behavior you understand is the law. If you're devoid of love. Where love is absent, laws are needed. And so imagine with me for a moment here what the kingdom of darkness looks like. A kingdom of these beasts who are utterly devoid of love. Uh, and they always op operate out of their own self-interest, which is what you do if you're devoid of love. The ruler of that kingdom would have to be the ultimate law keeper, the law enforcer. Because the only thing that could ever hold that kingdom together is the threat of law. You follow this? And so the ruler of that kingdom has got to be the ultimate, the one who's ultimately invested in, in law and in enforcing the law. This is what he does. It's the only thing he understands. And so it's not surprising then that we find throughout the Bible, he is, says in Revelation 12, the accuser of the brothers and the sisters. That's what he does. He accuses. Day and night, it says he accuses. Every fault, every shortcoming, every crime, every sin, he's there to point it out, to drive it home. You deserve to die. He's a liar. He, he, he's just, uh, always accusing. He shows up in, in Genesis, his first appearance in the Bible, and, and first thing he does is he, he accuses God before Eve. Did God say that you should not eat of that tree? Well, here's why. He's a petty God. He, he's, a, he's a manipulative God. He's one any competition. That's why he forbid that tree. And see, since Satan doesn't understand love, I think that, that Satan actually believes that about God. That's what Satan would be like if he was God, so he projects himself onto God the way we always do. And so he paints this picture of God as this manipulator and, 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 and whatnot, and then seduces Eve into his kingdom by that means. He shows up in Job, and he accuses Job before God, and accuses God before the heavenly council. God's proud of Job, and, and, and Satan says, well, does, do you think he fears God for nothing? No. 
See, then this beast can't believe that anyone would ever worship God for free. That's Because he doesn't understand love-motivated behavior. It, the only behavior he understands is the behavior of law, the threat. And so there's got to be something in it for Job. This guy, he doesn't worship you for free. No, he's doing it for the, for the benefits and, and, and for fear of the threats. And you are a manipulator, is what he's, God is, Job is saying about God, or what Satan's saying about God. You're, you're a Machiavellian deity, which is what Satan would be if he was in charge, so he projects that onto God. And then, to give one more example of this, we find in Zechariah 3, it really is a beautiful passage. I'll quote it a little more length here. Uh, Zechariah is given this vision where it says, He showed me Joshua the high priest. This isn't Joshua the warrior. This is a different Joshua uh, who's a contemporary of Zechariah. He shows me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan was standing at his right side to do what? Well, what he always does, to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? The fire is these accusations. It's condemnation. Is not this man snatched? And he says, now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. But the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off those filthy clothes. And then he put on these clean, these fine raiments and this turban on his head. Note that Satan here is the accuser. It's not God. In fact, in this case, in fact, usually the accusations are justified. Joshua really is a sinner. He's got filthy clothes. So Satan is telling the truth. And, and the Lord doesn't dispute that, in fact, what Satan is saying is true. He just nevertheless rebukes him for noticing it. This is my child you're talking about. Don't go around pointing out his sins. This is my child, my beloved, as though my love is an infinitely greater than his sins. How dare you be pointing out the shortcomings of my precious child, Joshua. And, and so the Lord's not the accuser. He's not the one who holds the sin against him. He's not the one who's been out of shape about the sin. It's Satan who's doing that. And the Lord, he, he, he's fighting Satan on this. See, Satan, his name, Satan, it means the adversary, the one who opposes. And who, who does he oppose? He opposes God. And how does he oppose? He opposes by accusing. What does that tell you about God? God's the opposite of the accuser. God is the one who's desiring to forgive and extend grace. Satan's the one who's saying, no, that's not just. We've got to keep the law. He's filthy. He's got dirty clothes. God says, how dare you? I rebuke you. I can change his clothes. That's not a problem. I rebuke you for noticing that. Satan is the accuser throughout the, the biblical narrative. And he's like this cosmic Pharisee. And so it's not surprising that the, 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 when Jesus shows up, and he's the perfect embodiment of, of the love of God, his main opponents are the Pharisees. They are Satan's lookalikes here on earth. These religious people, the ones who keep the law better than anybody else. Uh, those are the main opponents of Jesus. The, the, the ranked sinners, they, they gravitate to Jesus. They love Jesus. But the Pharisees, the righteous, the holy, who look down on all these, 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 these folks, uh, they're the ones who are most opposing Jesus. Why? Because they're, they're little Satan, little Satan lookalikes. They, they go around doing what Satan does. They accuse people. They judge people. Judgment is the antithesis of, uh, of, of God's love. That's why I argue this in repenting of religion. That that's why the original tree is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It makes Pharisees out of all of us. We go around gossiping about people in our brain, just judging them, accusing them, looking down on them. Little Satan's, and then they they, they condemn people with their judgments and they afflict people with their their legalistic accuser portraits of God. They are little Satan's here, the closest counterpart to Satan we get here on earth. But uh, the truth is, and now it was the bad news, but I'll promise you, good news is coming. 
It's not just the Pharisees who are in bondage to this Inspector Chavere of the spiritual realm. Truth is, this Inspector Chavere, because of our sin, he owns all of us. Jesus said, whoever sins is a slave to sin. This is what he was referring to. We don't see it this way because we're sinners and, and we, we don't evaluate sin nearly as gravely as it is. We, we think it's kind of a minor thing for the most part, except when it's other people's sin. Well, then it's major, of course. But ours are, of course, very minor. Uh, but in fact, all sin is treason. If we could see it for what it really is, it's a rebellion against God. It's pushing God away. And all sin, therefore, makes us uh, enslaved into the, 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 the demonic realm. Uh, this is what the, the cosmic, uh, this pro- cosmic prosecutor has on us. He holds the law over us. We're in bondage to the law. When we're brought into his kingdom, how does his kingdom run? It runs by law. It's all it understands. And so when we're brought into this kingdom, we come under this law. It's the chains that he holds on us. He rules us like he rules everybody else in the kingdom by law and indictment and threats. God originally planned us to live in, in Eden, to live in the realm under the, the reign of God, which is the reign of his love. But when we commit treason, we then are transported, as it were, into this land of the law where Satan rules. And we're, there's, a, there's a legal right that he has over us because of this rebellion. And, um, and, and we're, we're held captive to that. Part of the problem here is that we tend to see the law as, as a good thing, especially religious people. The law is a good thing because they get life from being better at keeping it than other people. So we see the law as good. Because, in fact, in this fallen world, it does serve a very useful purpose. It keeps sin in check. It, it keeps law in order. It keeps wicked people from doing what, they, what they'd like to do. So we think the law is a good thing. But, in fact, we wouldn't need the law if we weren't such sinners. If we loved perfectly, we would have no law. Law is only needed where there is, lo- there is no love. If we love perfectly... We, we, we do the right things for the right reasons and we wouldn't need a law to tell us to do it or threaten us if we didn't do it. That's why Paul says that love fulfills the law. In fact, you find that throughout the New Testament. Love fulfills the law. Not because it's trying to keep the law, but just because love does the right things for the right reasons. But the fact that we have law and that we need the law shows that we have separated ourselves from the God of love. That The law is, is in fact a, a, a curse, Paul says. All who rely on the law are under a curse. This isn't... It's a necessary evil in this fallen world, but in fact, it's a curse. It's a curse because we've separated ourselves from God. It's why we're unable to love perfectly. That's why, therefore, we're not able to keep the law. The law is a curse. We can't fulfill it. We can't ever live up to it because we don't love perfectly. The law is a curse because it condemns us, but it cannot justify us. That's why Paul says in Galatians 2 and several other places, by the law, no one will be justified. You can't be justified by keeping the law. Because even if you kept it perfectly, you still wouldn't be rightly related to God. That's what the word justification means. You can only be rightly related to God on the basis of love. But if you had that kind of love, you wouldn't need the law. So the fact that you have the law shows that you can't keep the law and can't get right with God. It's a curse because we're not right with God, and it ensures that we can't get right with God. We are under a curse. We're in this kingdom that we were never meant to be in. The kingdom of law that's ruled by Satan. And, and so the problem here, I want us to see this. The problem, this is the core problem, is the curse of the law. Our indebtedness to the curse of this law. And if God's going to save us, then this is what's got to be solved. If, if, if we're going to be saved, the problem is that that curse has got to be broken. Our indebtedness to the law has got to be resolved. This, this, this hold that Satan has on us has got to be canceled. The problem is the curse of the law. 
So look at that passage that we looked at, uh, that we started with. Paul is saying here that for us to be saved, the, 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 the charge against us, the charge of our indebtedness has got to be canceled. And by that means, the authorities, the powers, and Satan have got to be disarmed. That's what's got to happen for us to be freed. Uh, Paul says the same thing basically in, in Galatians 3 when he says, Christ became a curse for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. What did we need to get redeemed from? It was the curse of the law. And how did Christ do it? By becoming a curse for us. He, he took on himself our indebtedness, our legal indebtedness, and he therefore bore the consequences of, of the indebtedness that we deserve. That's what's called the judgment of God, but it's not God's emotional wrath towards, towards Jesus. It's just the consequences, the death consequences of our sin. Jesus bore that for us by the most ingenious means possible. And this is what I'll talk about next week. In this ingenious way, the love and the wisdom of God was able to cancel the charge that stood against us. The love and wisdom of God was able to defeat the principalities and powers and, and to embarrass them, to make an open, uh, a public spectacle of all of them. So I'll talk about that next week. What I want to do for the remainder of this message is simply pause, suspend that question, and savor and enjoy and reflect on the meaning that it has for us. Our sins, our indebtedness to sin, the indebtedness of our the legal hold that Satan had, uh, has on us has been canceled. So let's look at that passage one more time. He says that God, by means of the cross, this ingenious plan that he had that we'll talk about next week, he canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. This is what Satan had on us. That word cancel, exolifo, it's a beautiful word. Beautiful word. It means to cancel or to wipe out, to erase or to abolish. And so Paul is here saying that by means of the cross, God was able to cancel, wipe out, erase, and abolish our indebtedness to the law that stood over us, that Satan used to condemn us. He was able to cancel it, to wipe it out. I, I, I had never noticed this before until this week. and It's just blown me away. The passage doesn't just say that he canceled our sin, as though he went through the list one by one and he canceled each sin. That would be beautiful. But he did more than that. And the passage doesn't just say that he canceled our indebtedness as though he sort of paid off the whole account all at once. That'd be even more beautiful. But what God did was more beautiful than that. What God did is he went to the root of the problem and he canceled the charge of our indebtedness. He didn't just cancel the indebtedness, he canceled the charge of our indebtedness. And that charge refers to the very claim that our indebtedness can condemn us. The charge that he canceled was the power of this indebtedness to hold us in bondage to Satan. The, the, the charge that he canceled was the claim that that indebtedness has anything to do with us anymore. That it has any right over us, any power over us, any authority over us. That it can hold us captive. It's a little bit like this. Suppose you got yourself into great debt. You spent unwisely, you lost your job, whatever. And so they're going to foreclose on your house and they're going to repossess your car. They're going to farm out your kids to slave labor like they did in the olden days, whatever. You're in bad shape. And suppose I uh, am a very rich person, and you're going to have to imagine that one for a while here, but suppose I, I'm a very rich person and I want to help you out. Now, I could come over and I could, I could pay off your, 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 your credit cards and your bills one by one, right? 
That'd be like God erasing our sin one by one. And that'd be nice. But I, I could go to all of your creditors and just say, whatever they owe, I'll, I'll cover it. And, and that way I'm, I'm paying off all your accounts, not one by one. And I'm doing it in one sweep. And that'd be like God erasing our indebtedness, which would be beautiful. But see, if I stop there, then you could still, the economy is still in place and money still has the value it has. And so you could conceivably fall back into debt again. And, and if the economy is still in place, you're going to walk around with this you know, bankruptcy sign on your head and your credit's going to be ruined for a long time. And there's a lot of other ramifications there. And so what God did was more fundamental than either paying off our sins one by one or erasing the count. He canceled the charge of our indebtedness. What God did, basically, to free us from our indebtedness is he blew up the whole economy. He, he destroyed the, the very concept of money. And, and in destroying the very concept, he destroyed the charge, the very claim that, our, that, that, that money could uh, own you or that banks could own you. What he did was he destroyed the very concept of indebtedness, the very concept of owing. He went to the root of the problem. He got rid of it so that now we, whatever we get, we get for free because money has no meaning anymore. And, and no one can ever charge us with anything again because money has lost all of its power. He didn't just cancel the indebtedness. He canceled the charge of the indebtedness. To free us, he destroyed the very concept of the economy, the very concept of debt. Praise God. He unemployed the cosmic bill collector. <laughs> because when you take away the power of money, uh, banks go out of business. So Satan is out of business. He, dis- he disempowered the, the principalities and the powers. They're out of business. They're unemployed. They're fired. Just, they got nothing to do anymore. Because the charge that we could have a transgression held against us, the charge that we could be indebted to anyone anymore, that's gone. The charge is gone. That's why the psalmist says, even in the Old Testament, once in a while, these beautiful revelations break out, uh, that as far as the east is from the west, our, our transgressions have been cast from us. Think about that for a moment. As far as the east is from the west. Well, see, that's a, it's, a, it's a bizarre question. It's like find the square root of pi, because there is no ultimate east and there is no ultimate west. It goes an infinity in that direction and an infinity in that direction. So if God takes our transgressions, and he throws them an infinity in that direction and an infinity of that direction. Well, that's just like an Old Testament way of saying they're gone. Uh, they're annihilated. They've been obliterated. They've been erased. They've been canceled. Uh, they're, they're, they're there no more. And so all debt has been erased, uh, wiped out, canceled. All charges have been erased, wiped out, canceled. All guilt and all condemnation and all bondage has been erased. It's been canceled out. It's been annihilated. It's been abolished as far as the East is from the West. It's got no meaning anymore. The money has got no meaning. The bank account has no meaning anymore. So also, the guilt associated with sin and the charge and the indebtedness, it's lost all meaning, all power. The charge has been annihilated. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. It's like we were over here in the land of, of indebtedness. This is in Satan's rule. This is the land of the law. This is the land of the bank accounts. This is the land of charging. Money has meaning there. Indebtedness has meaning. It, it runs on that. It, that's what it eats for breakfast. That, that's the air it breathes, that kingdom. It, it's all law. It doesn't understand anything else. And see, we were supposed to live over here in the land of, of, of God's love, but we, because of our rebellion, our treason, we're brought over here in the land of bondage, the land of the laws, and we live by that. And the people who are best at it are the Pharisees, okay? They, the religious folks, they can climb to the top in that scheme of things. That's why they like it. They like it that way. They win that game. 
But what God does is he comes and when we can just surrender and accept this and, 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 and ask him to be Lord of our life, he takes us and he brings us back to where we belong. And where we belong is over here in the land of God's reign, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of his love, where now behavior is not motivated by threats and external things and laws. It's, it's motivated by internal transformation, by beauty. It's motivated by the revelation of God's grace. This is where we are. We're in this country now. So the, the laws of that country don't apply anymore. We've been freed. It's like you're, if you're a citizen of the United States, uh, it doesn't really matter, does it, what, what the laws of Mozambique or Zimbabwe say. You know, you're in this country, not there. And so their laws don't apply to you. They're irrelevant to you. Uh, it's like you're dead to those laws. So also we were dead in the kingdom of the law, but now we're dead to the kingdom of the law because we're not citizens there anymore. So all, all the concepts there, all the rules there, all, that game no longer applies to us. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, praise God. And, and, and so we're dead to that whole way of thinking. The charge of indebtedness has been uh, canceled. It just doesn't apply to us anymore. We have, the law no more has a, has a claim on us than the weather has to a dead person. I mean, it's irrelevant. The dead don't care about the weather, do they? Uh, how cold it is, how warm, it's, it's irrelevant. You're dead. So also, we were dead in sin, now we're dead to sin. Praise God. Praise God. That is grace. So, this is why Paul says in Romans 8, I love this passage, he says, Therefore, there is no, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This new land that we're in, it's, it, it's not just the land of Christ Jesus, it is in Christ Jesus. We're in Christ. And when you're in there, well, then the condemnation game over the, in that land doesn't apply here. There's that, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But then, at the end of the passage, he says, what shall we say in response to these things, all the stuff he's been talking about? He says, if God is for us, who can bring any charge against God's chosen? Mm. It is God who justifies. If God says that you are in a right relationship, that's what the word justification means, then you are in a right relationship. He's the highest authority in the land, praise God. Uh, you can't argue with God because he is God. This, this passage, I, I've shared this uh, a dozen times, but I, it's worth repeating. Um, this passage means so much to me because it, it set me free. Uh, some of you have heard this before, but I was saved in this real hyper-legalistic church. And, and um, I was really saved. I, I just couldn't do their legalism. Uh, I, my main problem was pornography. From the age of 12 on, I had a steady diet of pornography. I was living alone with my dad after my family blew apart. Uh, and and uh, uh, he didn't try to hide it. It was always there. And I'm a hormone 15, 16-year-old, you know. And so I had a steady diet of this stuff whenever I wanted. So I give my life to Christ, and I'm trying to quit this stuff. But I'm living in a house where it's there on the table. And when you're a hormoned-up 18-year-old, this is hard stuff to just walk away from. Some of you guys, would, some of you women, too, would know what I'm talking about. And uh, I just kept falling back into that. And in this, in this group, you're only as saved as your last sinless moment. So it's always getting unsaved. And then I'd have to get resaved, and it was this yo-yo game. And I was going to give up on the whole thing after about two years of this. I was just sick of it, and I was sure God was sick of it. And I was out in the parking lot on a Sunday night after this one church service that I was sure was my last church service. I wasn't going to go back. I'm damned. I can't do a thing about it. Literally, it's, it's God damn me. I was, I was damned. I, I just was, was uh, sure of it. And in anger, I took my Bible. I was talking to a friend, and, and we're just talking about these troubles. And I threw my Bible on, on, on his truck. And it opened up. It just opened, flopped open. I started to read it sarcastically. I was mad. I was reading it like angry at God. Because I still believed in him. I just couldn't live for him. And that's the passage I read. I read. It just fell open to there. I started reading Romans 8. And it's like, because I finally got 
honest with God. I finally got out. I was too afraid to say it before, you know, because I was playing the, the, the rule game where you're not supposed to say stuff like that. And I was just letting him have it. And it's like God said, thank you, finally, some honesty. Now let me get honest with you. And, and I opened up to this passage. And as I began to read this, as I began to read this, my eyes were opened. And for the first time, I saw a God that I actually loved. Uh, for the first time, I, I, I always had this, this picture of God. I always was in trouble with authorities. I was a hyperactive behavior problem kid and authorities were always mad at me and so of course I always had this picture of, of God as, as Inspector Chevere. he's always pointing out my sins he's always, I'm always disappointing him I'm always letting him down I'm just a screw up so who I am this is what I've always been when it comes to authorities and now for the first time there's this piercing revelation that cut through all of that and said Greg you, you got it all wrong you, you got it all wrong you, 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 that's a right picture of the devil that's not a right picture of me I'm not the accuser here no no if you give me your heart and you're in Christ Jesus you got to know that I love you I, 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 you got dirty clothes on for sure but I can, I can clean that up I, you let me in I'm going to clean that up but, but just let me love you like this. And I began to see that, that he loves me despite all of the crap and the junk in my life. And I found a new motivation I'd never known before, never known. I finally got a, a picture of God that was lovely. And I got a picture of myself as love for free. Never had that before. And, and, and that just changed everything. I got a new motivation. The threat of hell could not break in the bondage of pornography. The threat of the law could not do it. The threat of damnation couldn't do it. But, but with the love of God, when it gets inside, it starts to compel you in ways and motivate you in ways and transform you in ways that you can't believe. And, and that broke that stronghold in my life. And, and I'm not saying I've been sinless ever since, but it, it got me out of that, that realm over there and beginning to, I know I wanted to serve him. It wasn't just that I had to serve him. I wanted to. No, there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, praise God. And who can bring any charge to God's left? It's God who justifies. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, it's just, you guys, it's so, it's so mind-bogglingly beautiful when you just get a glimpse of this God. It's, it's so outrageous. The pharisaical neurons in your head say, oh, it's too good to be true. And they try to, and the enemy gets in there and tries to screw it up. And they, oh, that can't be true. Not, not for you. You know better than that. You know that secret sin. But we just, we just got to believe that, that, that you can't argue with God. God, he's the creator. So if God says that you're free, you're free. Praise God. If God says you're justified, you're justified. If God says that he's removed your sins, then your sins are removed. If God says you're righteous, then you got to know that you're righteous. If God says you're his child, then you got to know you're his child. Praise God. If God says the enemy is defeated, then you got to know the enemy is defeated. You can't argue with God. No. No, he's God. And so when he says it, it's done. He speaks and it comes into existence. He's not pretending that I'm righteous. No, when he says, Greg, you're righteous, I really am. I really am. There's a new me. There's new DNA. Now, my brain's still screwed up, okay? So I don't always get it. I don't live it all perfectly. No, he's got to burn all that away. But, but the truth is, he speaks truth and he creates existence. So what it means is, is that by God's word, the word of the creator, against whom no one can argue, all that stood against us is now gone. Praise God. All the law, the charge against us is gone. The indebtedness is gone. The bondage is gone. The guilt and the shame is gone. The charges have been dropped. The charges have been annihilated, praise God. The charge of your abortion has been annihilated, right? The charge of your three divorces have been annihilated, praise God, accept that. The charge of the affair that blew apart the family has been annihilated, accept that. The charge of your pettiness, the charge of the violence that's in your heart, the charge of your racism, the charge of your homosexuality, the charge of your promiscuity, the charge of your self-righteousness and religiosity. As far as the east is from the west, it's been done, it's been gone, it's annihilated, it's abolished forever. Praise God. 
when the sun sets free, it's free indeed. Hallelujah. Yes, I'm getting out of losing control up here. Hallelujah. It's too beautiful. It's too beautiful. It's too beautiful. Ah, I just, that's why we have such trouble believing it. It's like, come on, what's the fine print? That's the accuser thinking. I've got some of us hearing this right now, and in your brain, there's these neurons going, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a bunch of bull. Uh, it's just, yeah, that's, that's wishful thinking. Pie in the sky when you die, by and by. Or if you've got a pharisaic old neuron in there saying, man, you preach this, and people are going to start sending their brains out because now they think that they're free to sin. And that's because the only motivation you know is, 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 is manipulation and threats. So if you take away the threats, you're afraid that people are just going to start fornicating like rabbits or something. And some will. You know what? Some will. If that's, if, if, if that's, if if that's their motivation and the love of God isn't in there, well, then they, they might. But that doesn't change the reality here. That if, if you get the love of God on the inside and, and really can accept that there's no condemnation, there's no shame, that you're loved for free, and that God's not the accuser. No, he rebukes the accuser. He rebukes the accuser. He's not the accuser. He doesn't hold it over your head. He's not against you. He's for you. He's down there defending you, saying, stop that. How dare you point that out about my beloved? Mm. And if that gets on the inside, it just changes everything. It changes everything. He makes all things beautiful. (laughs) He makes all things new. He makes beauty out of dust. He makes beauty out of us. He makes beauty out of the crap of our existence. He makes beauty out of our fallenness. He can take this and he can make you innocent again. He can re-innocence you. (laughs) He can make it as though it never happened. He, he can make you a virgin again. He makes you pure and spotless. A baby. Uh, that's why we can be like little children with abandon and, and, and freedom without that critical eye in, in, on the inside. Oh, that, that's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. We've been transported from that place to that place. The laws don't apply. We can dance in his love. When the, when the love's on the inside, Paul says the love of Christ compels us. See, love fulfills the law. So it doesn't break the law. It's, it fulfills the law. Except that we really get it on the inside. But we don't do it to fulfill the law. The motivations are totally different. We do it because we're in love. And love does the right things for the right reasons. It doesn't need a law saying, if you don't do it, I'm going to get it. No, no, that, that's, that's ugly kingdom, pharisaical, demonic stuff. Try, let's try this exercise. I want to end with this. Just, it may help you to close your eyes. Um, or you don't have to. I'm not going to have a law about that. But I want you to imagine this for a moment. Just imagine this for a moment. Um, uh, can you in your mind, however you do imagination right now, I want you to just envision that you're like in this court, kind of like what Zechariah was seeing in the passage we read earlier. And the enemy, the accuser, the cosmic Pharisee, Inspector Chevere, he's there. He's got a book. And it's the book of your sin every sin you've ever committed. And for some of you, maybe it's going to be a thinner book. For us, some of us, it's going to be Encyclopedia Britannica. Multi-volume. And, but he's got it there. And he is, he is pointing this against you. He's holding it over you. He's going to smack you on the head uh, with this. Uh, he's, got, he's claiming to have the right to accuse you for every one of these acts of treason. Separate you. Justify him holding you and condemning you. And, and he's accusing you. Look what you did. You know what you did. Vile, terrible, wounding other people. You don't deserve. You don't deserve. You are a loser. He's accusing you. That's what he does. You realize he's telling the truth. That book is true. You have done that. Don't argue with him. Don't argue with him. Don't negotiate with terrorists. 
worst thing you can do is negotiate with terrorists, try to say, well, I'm not that bad. No, don't even play the game. Don't even pick, fine, give it to them. Yeah, you're right. But now I want you to see, imagine, Holy Spirit, help us to imagine. In this court here with the enemy holding up that giant book, there, here comes Jesus. Jesus comes by your side, puts his arm around you. He points at the enemy. He says, I rebuke you. I rebuke you, you accuser. How dare you point this out about my beloved? How dare you try to humiliate my beloved? Love covers a multitude of sins. My love does far more than that. It makes all things new. It makes beautiful things out of dust, out of the sin. And enemy, you know, I will speak the truth again, that Jesus says, that I on the cross canceled the charge of that book. I didn't just erase every sin in that book. No, the book, the book is gone. And my beloved here is dead to that book. That book has got no claim on my beloved. My book, that book has no relationship with my beloved. It's completely irrelevant to my beloved because my beloved is now in me. And, and because of my sacrifice, which you helped orchestrate, as I recall, this is what Jesus says, you, you did this. Uh, but my, my beloved is now free. And now I see Jesus just breathe on that book and on the enemy. He's, it's the breath of his Holy Spirit, the breath of his powerful love, as he did on the disciples. And, and just see him as he breathes with his arm around you towards that book and towards the enemy. They dissipate, they disappear, they vanquish. And they start to fly as far, just into nothingness as far as the east is from the west. They are gone, 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 gone. Canceled, erased, abolished. And then, Holy Spirit, help us to see this. Turn now, face the one who loves you and who defends you at all costs. I just hear him say to you, it's been canceled. Receive it. Receive my love for free. Receive my forgiveness for free. And trust that my word cannot be rebuked. My word cannot be revoked. I love you. I love you. No ifs, ands, or buts. That book, I don't care how many volumes it was, that book is nothing compared to my love. My love washes it away with a little twiddle, little twiddle of my pinky. My love is, for you is greater than that. And uh, yes, there's dirty clothes that you wear, but you know what? Let me love you. Let me transform you from the inside, and you're going to find yourself wearing spotless clothes, a robe of righteousness, and a crown of glory. And oh, Jesus says, I can't wait to sit with you on the throne as we reign for all eternity (laughs) and dance and party. Receive it. Receive it. Holy Spirit, help us to receive it. In the deepest part of our being, receive it. Receive it. There is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. None, none, none. The concept, the very concept has been abolished. And as I close in prayer, I want to ask the prayer teams to come forward here and invite you to come forward and pray with these folks, whatever the need may be. It may be about this this message. It may be about something uh, like finances or something else, but whatever it is, don't take it with you uh, uh, carrying that. Come up here and share it with these folks. But Abba Fathers, we leave this place we pray that you would continue to transform us from the inside out. Continue your beautiful work of making all things new, making beautiful things out of dust, making beautiful things out of us. God, always be reminding us uh, about the truth of who you are and collapsing every accuser tape in our brain to receive your truth and to be transformed by your truth and to share your truth with others in this world who so desperately need it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, 
Amen. God bless you guys. Love you. Let God love you. Go out and love on the world.